Welcome, everyone, to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 86, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, Justice, part one. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. We're back after a short hiatus of about a month or so, and uh, we're recording again. Being behind the mic is nice. Yeah, we had pre-recorded episodes for April course because we had to take care of the newest member of our family i guess the newest baby stand (laughs) (laughs) although he's not as troublesome as as the baby stand from jojo um but yeah that's been our main focus for most of last month Uh, but yeah definitely glad to be back on the mic for strictly jojo So if we sound a little bit rusty or a little bit tired, bear with us. It's just us getting back into the groove of things and trying to stay awake because, of course, a newborn baby keeps us up all night. Um, But yeah, it it does feel good to be talking about JoJo again. And we're jumping in with uh, Justice Part 1, which I really enjoy because of all the Polnareff shenanigans. So I'm excited to talk about it. But before we do that, we have a couple of things we want to catch up on, um, some fun stuff going on with us here at Strictly JoJo, as well as, I think, some JoJo news too, right? Yes, two pieces of JoJo news for today. Well, first and foremost, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patron, Lazo. Woohoo! Ooh, round of applause. Ooh. Thank you so much, Lazo, for your uh, your support. I did just hit the microphone, so I wonder if that's going to show up on, <laughs> on your end. Sorry if there's a loud noise, but that's my hand hitting the microphone. But yes, thank you, Lazo, so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great news to come back to Strictly JoJo with um, a new patron in our patron family. So, yes, thank you, Lazo, for your support. We certainly hope that we can do you justice. I thought you were going to stop at do you. <laughs> there was that pause there. I was like, where is he going with that? <laughs> well, <laughs> see if you're open to it. But you don't have to answer that. <laughs> And if any of you guys would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows, our show schedules so you can see what's coming out ahead of time, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. Unrelated to JoJo, but something that I was involved in recently is that I was invited on the Anime Brothers podcast by JD to discuss an anime from the winter 2023 season along with Two hosts from the Otaku Host Club podcast, Jeff and Dan. And that anime is Trigun Stampede. Uh, I guess like JoJo, Trigun is an anime that many people, especially of our age, uh, hold near and dear to their hearts. And so with Trigun Stampede, it caused a little bit of division in the anime community. But the four of us got together to discuss the new, I guess, reboot as well as compare and contrast it to the original anime that came out in 1998. Um, I I feel like a lot of us had similar opinions about Trigun Stampede. I know one of us (laughs) had a probably really scathing review of the reboot, but I'll leave it to you to check out that episode again from the Anime Brothers podcast and listen in because it was definitely a great discussion and the three of them are just a bunch of great guys and it was it, I actually recorded this during our April hiatus so it was just nice to be able to talk about anime again behind a podcast mic and 
Jeff and Dan from Otaku Host Club are big JoJo fans. And JD mm-hmm. is more of like a new JoJo fan. Right. He's finally caught up. Um, I think a couple months back, he caught up with JoJo through part six. So yeah, it's a, a great group of guys. And we've collabed with them many times and talked about JoJo many times. So this is going to be a really good discussion. And moving back to the sphere of JoJo, as I said before, we have two pieces of JoJo news for today. And surprisingly, they're both related to part four, Diamond is Unbreakable. The first of which is an article from JoJoNews.com titled, Spring Morio Town Festival Begins on April 21st in Sendai, Japan. A Diamond is Unbreakable festival will be held in Sendai starting on April 21st, 2023, featuring a pop-up shop, baseball game, and coffee shop. Uh, Sendai, of course, is Araki's hometown and the town that Morio is based on in Part 4. I'm not exactly sure why they're celebrating Part 4. I don't think it's like the 10th anniversary of the anime because I believe that passed like a couple years ago. But I think people just love Part 4 in Japan maybe because it takes place in Japan. Uh, But... It's a JoJo event. Why not celebrate JoJo? Um, And so the article does contain images of some of the goodies that will be appearing at the pop-up shop, including tapestries, a t-shirt, tote bag, acrylic stands, and the like. And then there's a baseball collaboration event with the Tohoku Rakuten Golden Eagles. Uh, Let's see. There will be a pregame stage event and a ceremonial first pitch in which Yuki Ono, the voice actor of Josuke, will appear. That's very exciting. And then the coffee stand, which features Iggy, even though Iggy's from part three. But Yeah, wait, uh, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know, but that's awesome, though. Just a, a JoJo-themed coffee stand that'll have goods and I'm sure a lot of JoJo-themed foods and drinks. So looking at this merch, the part four merch is pretty cool. Um, Very colorful as expected from part four and from Josuke's whole story. But the Iggy merch, the Iggy coffee stand merch is so cute. I fucking love it. It gives me um, like Animal Crossing merch vibes. Mm -hmm. Like when we went to the Nintendo store and we saw all the Animal Crossing merch and it was very like minimalist um but very like soft and cute like that's what this reminds me of it's so cute but i'm wondering why they used the cursed iggy instead of like the updated version in the anime i know the cursed iggy uh shows up in like the first episode of stardust crusaders where iggy's introduced but then they change the the design for iggy and kind of soften his look but they have that original look um, or that original version of iggy as the Iggy they're using for the merchandise. I mean, I don't mind this image of Iggy. I think it fits in more with like what you'd see on a typical coffee shop brand. Because I'm looking at the picture of Iggy uh, on our podcast table of the Stardust Crusaders photo. It looks a little more cartoony. But I would say the original Iggy has that more vintage coffee shop feel that's true it does fit really nicely and i like the the pose of iggy just laying down i want all this merch so bad I'd love it to kills get that, me a- that apron i would love to get that that yeah that's really cute and the drawstring bag is really cute like oh my god i want all of this stuff as always i'm jealous that japan gets to have all these cool events especially for part four which i hold near and dear to my heart and a baseball game is pretty cool too that that seems to be a very unique type of um 
like anime pop-up event. I haven't heard of any other anime doing that, although I'm sure it's happened in the past. There's There were a couple with uh, Attack on Titan during the final season, I think part one or part two. Uh, it was with the Soft Bangkoks, which is another baseball team in Japan. Um, I don't know if they had like themed jerseys or whatever, but I, I knew that there were some like marketing materials that in, included Attack on Titan characters for the baseball team. Um, so I think yeah, it's, it's another form of promo for anime. Um, I'm trying to recall if there were any moments in part four that were related to baseball, but I, I can't. I know there's, oh, that's a baseball from part three. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, okay, I was thinking, yeah, there's more baseball references in part three, but it is what it is, so... If anyone's interested, we'll share a link to this article in the Discord. And if you are not a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the description. The last piece of JoJo news I have for today is in relation to the Japanese fashion brand Glam. That's spelled G-L-A-M-B. They have actually added new JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Diamond is Unbreakable merch. So just, again, going along with the theme of part four for today's JoJo news uh, Glam has released previous collaborations with JoJo. I think the most recent one they did was last year for Stone Ocean. Uh, but this time around, they have nine new pieces of clothing that are themed around part four, ranging from a crazy diamond t-shirt to a star platinum coach jacket to my personal favorite, which is the Killer Queen reversible track jacket. Keep in mind if you are thinking of ordering these you can because they offer international shipping through a third-party service called world shopping so just be wary of the shipping prices but also know that the items themselves are very pricey uh, ranging from as low as $90 to as high as $290 and that's US dollars converted from the Japanese yen well I see wait, I'm looking at the part four ones um, this like parka this really long parka is like 352 dollars. <laughs> yeah so damn <laughs> <laughs> they are a pretty penny but they are very pretty as well uh i would love to get that reversible killer queen jacket but i think that's the most expensive item oh yeah you're right collab. 385 <laughs> yeah uh but it ha does have that i think that's yoshikage kira's tie design right like the sort of diamond pattern yeah i love the um i i love minimalist stuff so i love the one side of it where it's just the killer queen skull yeah and what's the other side the reversible side it's like the actual tie pattern the other side oh, is like the whole tie pattern yeah so like it's the the purple with the small skull and then yeah the tie pattern that you can flip out also like the raglan tee for act three or I call it like a baseball tee with that three-quarter sleeve um, just because I love wearing those kinds of shirts. They're, they're comfortable, but they also can get breezy on a nice hot summer day. But again, these might be out of a lot of people's price ranges, but if you do manage or can manage to afford these, uh, that's awesome. We'll have to see photos if you do happen to snag one of these up. Uh, but we'll share a link to the Glam website or online shop that features these nine items along with the rest of the items that are in glam's previous jojo collabs and so again that will be shared on the discord 
So jumping into this episode, Justice Part 1, um, I I talked last time, I believe, about how the introduction of Anyaba as one of the enemy stand users kind of brings us into this next phase of Dio's stand user army, I guess you could call it, where they're kind of upping the stakes a little bit. Um, and we're going to get a lot of these like two-part episodes. And I really enjoy this two-part episode or two-part episode saga because I love the dynamic between Polnareff and Inyaba. I think one of my favorite things about watching Justice Part 1 and Part 2 is that Polnareff is trying really hard to be super friendly and super nice to Inyaba, and the whole time she's thinking, I fucking hate you because you killed my son. I know, it's kind of ironic that you know they look like they could be lifelong chums, but... And Yaba is facing her son's killer, like, in her face. Uh, but, yeah, I think from this point onward, we do get a lot of these two-parters with this being the first um, and having that sort of setup episode formula. So starting with this one, of course, we don't really see Anyaba's stand justice in action, but we get a lot of exposition and preparation for that eventual battle with the enemy stand. We kind of do. I mean, we get a little bit of a hint at what just, Justice is capable of when Whole Horse shows up to the hotel. Because yeah, she like explains, taste, I guess. yeah, she explains how it works. That the the stand um, is made of fog, and when that fog brushes up against any sort of wound on somebody's body, it then turns that wound into a gaping hole, which is essentially like a hole for a string to go through. Because then that body part or whatever becomes almost puppet like, and she's able to control it. But would you call this episode a transitional episode? Because I feel like it's kind of transitioning us from the end of what happened with, um, you know, the whole car simulator, road rage simulator from the last episode into bringing us to Pakistan and bringing us, um, you know, face to face with Anyaba. See, I was thinking about that, but like with these two parters, you can't you can't have one without the other. Uh, so I think I might add a third episode category into the mix um uh, yeah because there's main episodes there's transitional episodes and then like i said before i would just call this a setup episode uh so almost like a prologue to the main event which is when i guess polnareff faces off against anyabo i think with jotaro's help though in justice part two so i wouldn't say it's transitional because it's not really getting from point A to point B. It's just preparing us for a stand battle. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. It kind of has like, I, I would say that's like a, a blend of the two different categories. Like it's a, like this middle ground type of category. But uh, yeah, I think what what I also really enjoy about this two-parter is that Whole Horse is involved. <laughs> I know it's not the last we'll see of Whole Horse, but I fucking love Whole Horse. I think he's hilarious, probably because he's just Polnareff in another version. And uh, anytime I get to see Whole Horse and Polnareff interact, it just gets even better. You know, I, I mentioned last episode, if Transformers is a JoJo reference now, I guess for this episode... Is Silent Hill a JoJo reference? Oh, shit. <laughs> right? Cloudy with a chance of Silent Hill. <laughs> yeah. So interesting point there. 
But all right, JoJo fans, it's time for a chilling check-in as we crusade into our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 14, Justice Part 1. After booking a one-way ticket for Anne to no more Cameoville on the last plane home, wink wink, the Crusaders push through with their parade through Pakistan, but make another pit stop in a town whose forecast is cloudy with a chance of Silent Hill. The boys witness even more Netflix Stranger Things when they come across a lifeless body on the street riddled with bloodless holes like the coagulated Capri Sun juice pouch was sucked out of them. Suspecting that an enemy stand user is lurking nearby, Josephu decides to get out of this doomed dodge but nearly becomes a stardust skewer satyr after almost taking a very uncomfortable passenger seat atop a fence spike. Thankfully, a kind old lady shows up to provide the boys shelter at the nearby Grand Buddha Pestilence Hotel, but unbeknownst to the Crusaders, the hospitable hag is none other than the late Jay Giles' spiteful mother, Inyaba Humbug. Whole Horse shows up to check in after tracking down the Crusaders for quite some time, but he becomes a hold horse as Anyaba Humbug utilizes her maliciously misty stand, Justice, to puncture the conniving cowboy like another coagulated Capri Sun and puppeteer him to become an hero using his own emperor stand. With her son's traitorous partner out of the picture, Anyaba Humbug sets her sights on her son's flat-topped killer, ensuring that Polnareff checks out of the Grand Buddha Pestilence Hotel earlier than expected. And now on to our next segment of the show, ZA Music and or Tarot Reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So there's no real mention yet of the eponymous stand Justice in this episode, but I suppose we can finally mention the musical reference for a character that's appeared numerous times already, but now gets to meet the Crusaders face-to-face, and that's with... Enyaba herself, also known as Enya the Hag. Her name is a reference, a musical reference to Enya, an Irish singer, songwriter, and musician noted for her modern Celtic music. Enya is probably best known the world over for her 2000 single, Only Time, which has been used numerous times in pop culture, such as in Deadpool 2 and a Volvo commercial featuring Jean-Claude Van Damme. I believe that um, the localization for Enya being Enyaba is a one-for-one for the literal way of saying Enya the, the hag. hag in Japanese um, because you have Obasan, which is grandma or kind of like old lady. So they combine it as Enyaba to mm. basically in- insinuate that she is an old lady or old lady Enya. So I kind of like, as far as localizations go, I do appreciate that um, the localization for Enya stayed Enyaba because it is what they're actually saying in the show and it is the Japanese way of saying Enya the hag. So that that was nice. At least they were able to keep that while not getting sued by Enya. <laughs> yeah, very clever. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. So I have one and it's basically Polnareff, Polnareff's dummy thick ass. I There's like no exact meme for it. It's just the image floats around and it's the, um, the scene where he goes to his hotel room, belly flops onto the bed and then says, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. 
when he gets up, there's a shot of him from behind on all fours. And holy shit, he is dummy thick. What? Let me send you the screenshot really quick. Um, I'm also going to post the screenshot in the Discord so you guys can see this this rich, thick ass on Polnareff. Ooh, look at those French baguettes. <laughs> I think there's a couple of shots throughout Stardust Crusaders of Polnareff's uh, thick ass, as well as Joseph's thick ass. Um, but this one's probably one of the most prominent so i will be sure to share that because no one needs to miss out on his his booty you know because they gotta work on their glutes i mean yeah they're built like brick shit house yeah <laughs> so of course their ass has to match all of that and as always if we miss any memes please reach out and let us know so on our journey of figuring out where they stop saying jojo this episode there is no mention of the name jojo unless i missed it um so now we have a moment where we're not hearing Jojo. We'll have to see in the next couple of episodes if that picks up again. But lately, it's only been the narrator that's been using the, the term Jojo or the nickname Jojo when referencing Jotaro. So I would say the Crusaders have moved beyond that. Um, but who knows? It's it's early days. We still have a lot of Stardust Crusaders left to go. So we'll keep an eye on this and see when the transition actually happens where they stop saying Jojo. And I know it's been a while since we've talked about this. So for anyone who needs a quick refresher, we've been wondering um, at what point in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure does the nickname JoJo truly fall off? Because in every part of JoJo, there is at least a reference to how the JoJo protagonist's name fits in that JoJo moniker. But at some point, they actually stop calling the main JoJo JoJo. And I think it happens sometime in part three, because in the beginning of part three, we get a lot of people referencing Jotaro as JoJo. But then as the, the part goes on, they start calling him Jotaro instead of JoJo. But we're trying to figure out when exactly do we stop hearing that. Diving into this episode, it starts off with Jotaro getting his replacement jacket. I love that. It's such a short scene. It's totally unnecessary, but I think it's great that they at least explained how he got a new jacket after the last one was burned up instead of him just showing up with a new one. Because you get that all the time, not only in anime, but like in cartoons and stuff where a piece of clothing or something will be destroyed. And then the next episode, it's back again with absolutely no explanation. So again, they don't have to do this. They didn't have to take the time to explain to us how Jotaro got a new jacket, but they did. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's not like he has a luggage case full of the same school jacket, um, which I think, you know, that's just a funny trope with cartoon characters or animated characters is that they always wear the same outfit and you wonder why. Um, but to clarify this scene with Joe Toro and the tailor and the subsequent scene with Anne's departure are actually anime originals. Are they really? Mm -hmm. ah. So I think they added these in just for continuity's sake, which makes me think like in the manga when they dismiss Anne and say like go back to Hong Kong or whatever to find your father, like that was the last you actually saw of Anne in the manga. So I think this time around, yeah, they just want to properly explain how Jotaro got his his jacket back as well as give a proper send-off to Anne. Well, props to David Production for doing that. Uh, I think the Anne part of it makes sense because she's been uh, not a key player, but you know, a cameo that has come up twice now in Stardust Crusaders. So it was nice to get some clarity on how she 
kind of parts ways with the Crusaders. But again, the jacket thing, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to add that scene in. But I think it's a great scene. And then Jotaro later tells Joseph, I think right after they send Anne home, that uh, the jacket is made of 100% wool. And I'm thinking, you why? Kidding me? Why? You're in Pakistan. It's probably extremely hot. You were just in India. Like, why would you do that to yourself? But I know that Kakyoin and Jotaro, at the start of their journey, when they were on the boat, they would tell, they told Joseph, like, you know, we're, stu- we're students. We have to be disciplined. We have to wear our student uniforms even when we're not at school and it's sweltering hot. But... I would imagine like Japanese school uniforms aren't actually made of wool. Yeah, Unless I don't was, think so. <laughs> this was just the material that was available in this tailor shop. Maybe it's some kind of conditioning that Jotaro is doing for himself, like heat conditioning or something. Yeah, like insulating his body heat by using a material that creates more heat. <laughs> or maybe he just wants to be really bougie and like have a very expensive outfit because his outfit is really expensive. I don't know what episode it is, but at some point he tells somebody how much his uniform costs and it's like an absurd amount. So going back to Anne, they do eventually get Anne to get on the plane home. And in her struggles, Joseph explains to her that they're trying to save his daughter. They're going to come across some, you know, scary people and they don't want her to get hurt. Um, And that she should go home to her parents who care about her. So that's Joseph's way of saying, you know, if I were your parents, I would be very, very concerned about you. And so she does get on the plane, but she wants to see Jotaro one last time before she goes. And lo and behold, there he is on the runway, just walking around for some reason, which is probably not allowed and not safe at all. But, you know, there he is. He's not being blown into the rotor or, you know, <laughs> like the the noise from the plane's engines or whatever. That's not bothering him. He has no fear. He's like, you know what? If the plane sucks me up in the engine or whatever, then so be it. <laughs> and I thought Anne didn't deserve to be or deserve to properly say goodbye to Jotaro, but I guess just that one glimpse of him through the plane window was enough for her, and at least at least she rooted for him in the end, despite her playing like hard to get at first. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, Anne's an interesting character because she's there to, in part, to prove that Jotaro responds to strength because he was fine with her in the beginning, but then when she acted all girly and kind of swooning over him, that's when he started to get annoyed with her. So I think it makes sense that he didn't rush to say bye to her, but it was still nice that she was able to see him on her way out. So then the Crusaders are traveling along. Fog forces them to stop in town and and find a hotel for the night. And <laughs> here's where we get the uh, the start of the foreshadowing for Polnareff's fate through the Justice arc. And it starts with him saying he hopes there's a proper toilet in the hotel because he can't get used to those like squatting toilets that are basically kind of like holes in the ground. You squat over them. And I'm just thinking, oh boy, he has no idea what's in store for him. He's already had toilet troubles. It just gets worse from here. Yeah, Polaroff was just on another level this whole episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if he just realized the seriousness of the situation or if he was just like really that constipated or that traumatized from the bathroom scene with, uh, it was Jay Guile, right? With Centerfold. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like on a, he has a one track mind about uh, like public restrooms or private restrooms in this episode. <laughs> 
And then Joseph uh, tries to teach the boys how to do a proper greeting um, when you're in Pakistan. And uh, then the dude is really cold toward him. And I appreciate this moment because Joseph obviously can't handle the awkward silence and says, Moshi Mosh, and tries to do like a whole like phone signal thing, you know, trying to imply like, are you there? Is someone in your head right now? Um, and this immediately reminds me of the awkwardness between his interact or during his interaction with him and Santana from part oh, two, right? Because he's so awkward about it. Because Santana is obviously not interacting directly with him, and he's trying to figure this guy out. So Joseph just starts like messing with him. So it's nice to see Joseph's ways haven't exactly changed. And this is the first instance of like really creepy things happening in this town, which. Are these all like an offshoot of Enyaba's power? Like with this guy just being stone cold? Or is it just like this town is just full of very rude people? Yeah, I think it. I think it's Enyaba doing all of this. I think it's twofold. It's her resurrecting these dead bodies because I'm jumping ahead to the next episode, but it's revealed that this is actually a cemetery because that dog was dead um Mm -hmm. of course the dog was dead thanks a (laughs) rocky when they were entering the town in the first place and then jotaro sees that same dog seemingly alive uh, moments later so it's it's Inyaba controlling these dead bodies like puppets to create what seems to be an active town but she's obviously being really rude to them because she hates them and then uh it's also her creating an illusion of an actual town there because it's not there which is what um implied when joseph almost jumps onto that spiked fence oh okay so it's like justice is a kind of a multifaceted stand by yes generating these images and also puppeteering everything yeah it's kind of like illusions right like a puppet's not a real person but it's an illusion of someone mm-hmm. you know controlling something to create create that illusion of somebody who who is um alive Okay, that clears up so many questions that I had for this episode, especially the next one, which was about the passerby who had acne on her face. Yeah, probably a result of her being dead in some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on in this town. Um, Polnareff runs up to another dude to ask where the hotel is and says, preferably one with a nice clean bathroom. Like again, you're just, you're, you're, you're drumming up the foreshadowing. Um, but when they see that the guy is dead, I noticed that everyone in the Crusaders shouts Nani, except for Jotaro, who's in the back. He's just like stunned looking, but he doesn't actually say anything. Hmm. And I think that's smart because it would be so out of place for Jotaro to scream Nani. It's just not in his character at all. I'm trying to recall any other moments in the anime if I've heard Jotaro scream Nani. But he probably it's... has, but in probably more of like a, an intense Nani versus yeah. like a goofy like what type of situation like we have here. So then Kakyoin calls out to that woman, says, hey, call the police. This guy's dead. She's got festering boils all over her face and is like really awkward toward him. And then he comments saying like, these people in this town are more cold than the people in New York or Tokyo. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> New York's got some interesting characters. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo's not that bad. I mean, we were there. Yeah, Everyone... I think people in Japan say that Tokyo has some of the coldest people in Japan because mm. you get a lot more friendly interactions from Osaka. Um, But I think by comparison, Tokyo has way more friendly people than New York. (laughs) I guess Tokyo would kind of be like the New York of Japan. And then, I don't know, Osaka could be... The Chicago of Japan. Yeah, which everyone (laughs) says like people in Chicago are surprisingly friendly. Maybe we're biased. I don't know. But I like to think that uh, that's pretty accurate. 
So then there's this weird moment that I, I kind of question where um, the Crusaders comment on the fog or whatever, and then in the sky shows up like this skull face that whips around in the air, and then it kind of manifests the actual justice stand, and we see the justice card behind it. And the whole thing seems super out of place to me. I don't know if you felt this way as well, but it felt really out of place for me and kind of almost reve uh, ruins the reveal that this whole situation is part of Enyaba's standability because it just basically tells you this is justice. Everything that's happening is is justice. But I wonder, like, why, why was that the reveal? Why not have the reveal happen when Enyaba is attacking Whole Horse at the end of the episode? Like showing that skull in the sky. Yeah, because we do get mm. that. I mean, she, the stand shows up when she's explaining to Whole Horse how her sanibility works. So why did we need this extra moment? Because it also cuts. Like as soon as you see Justice and you see the Justice card, it then cuts right back to the Crusaders looking at the dead guy. And there's like no mention of it. There's no transition. I'm just kind of like, why was that a thing? I think it's just getting a taste of that the strange things happening in this town are due to a stand like an enemy stand user being nearby and so they had to visually represent that with the, the skull in the sky which i think i noted in my notes is like a you won't know what this is but a, like a death mark from harry potter which is the exact same kind of design yeah i have no idea what that is <laughs> <laughs> um but i didn't think much of it i i just took this as a sort of warning sign for the Crusaders to know, like, there's a reason that this town isn't the way it should be. I think what confuses me, though, is we've had other situations where it's clear the weird stuff going on is because of an enemy stand user's stand ability, um, but it doesn't immediately just kind of, like, tell you that. It's, like, the the slow build to that. So I think about the strength episode with the orangutan, right? Like all this weird shit is happening on the ship. People are dying. They're clearly alluding that it is something to do with the orangutan because they keep flashing back to the orangutan and like giving him really creepy looks and stuff, but they don't actually show us that it's the strength stand. Um, so that's why here I'm like, why not just kind of let all of these things build? And then Anyaba comes on screen and you, you realize, oh shit, this must be part of her stand ability versus whatever the fuck was going on in the sky. It may maybe it's just me being too picky, but it just felt very strange to me. Then we come across that part I mentioned earlier where Joseph um is panicking about the dead body and everyone acting weird. So he's like, hey, let's all jump in the car and go wherever. And as he's jumping into what he thinks is the car, he suddenly realizes it's actually a pointed fence. And <laughs> I don't know why, but I just like love this part because it's the most dramatic thing in this entire fucking episode. You got this like panning shot that's also in slow-mo as Joseph is like hovering in the air over these um, spiked points on the fence and he's shouting the entire time and then he whips out Hermit Purple to grab onto the light post above and stop his fall. Like it just was so over the top and so you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure-esque that I, I really appreciated it. And then after that, you've got Jotaro just standing there like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's all done within the span of JoJo time, right? Yeah. <laughs> screaming and then calling out Hermit Purple. Uh, yeah, I guess adding to the abs absurdity of this entire town. So Anyaba finally shows up. 
she greets the crusader she says i've got a hotel or whatever and polnareff says oh finally a normal person and like polnareff you're just like (laughs) you're just putting your foot in your mouth with everything that you're saying in this episode um so then it goes to the eye catch which is hermit purple jumps back to the scenes with anyaba and uh, as she's guiding the crusaders to her hotel she says mr joestar like this is my hotel and Jotaro notices immediately that she's aware of Joseph's last name without having met him before. And so then Anyaba goes into a panic saying, oh, it's because uh, your friend here, Polnareff, said his name earlier. And Polnareff's like, I did? <laughs> I don't even know. I, did he say it in the episode? I should probably go back and look. Yeah, I should have tried to catch this um, in the second watch, but. I come, I forgot about this line until Anyaba says it again. Yeah, I'm sure at some point somebody did say Joestar son, but maybe not. Um, maybe when he was getting imp- about to be impaled by the spike. Maybe. I, I can't recall. Yeah, next time we watch <laughs> this, we'll, we'll pay closer attention to see if someone actually did say Joestar son before Anyaba shows up. But I would say this should be the warning sign that the enemy stand user is right there to the group. I think Jotaro is probably the only one who is pretty sus at this point. Um, And I think he carries that even as they check in at the hotel because we learn in the next episode about when he registers. Jotaro. Right. (laughs) And he uses the signature. So he was thinking five steps ahead. But this didn't register with any of the (laughs) the other members. Especially not Polnareff. Polnareff is the most oblivious of all of them. Like, he's oblivious this whole fucking episode. So this kind of starts that whole back and forth between Anyaba and Polnareff where he's really warm towards her and she's got this facade of being warm back to him. But in her mind, she's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. You murdered my son. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird because they both technically have a vendetta against each other. But Polnareff's trying to flirt with this old lady saying that she (laughs) only looks 40 years old. And then you have like them both making that kind of cartoony face where they're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think you get some of Enyaba's inner thoughts too. Um, it's just a weird scene. <laughs> and it gets weirder because, of course, Polnareff just wants to go to the bathroom. That's like, that's his whole thing. <laughs> this entire episode, he just wants to go to the bathroom and he wants it to be a quote unquote normal bathroom. So he asks the, the rest of the Crusaders where the bathrooms are at. When they tell him it's probably communal, then he leaves. And Joseph comments saying he's so carefree that an enemy stand user could attack him at any moment and he'd have no idea. And I'm just like, man, Whoa. all this foreshadowing, it keeps <laughs> building and building and building. But then we have um, Whole Horse fucking show up to the hotel. And I'm like, great, it's Polnareff number two. <laughs> and similar to Polnareff's interactions with Anyaba, where it's kind of like this friendly facade, you have Whole Horse who is acting as if he and Jay Guile were like super close and acting as if he's super remorseful for his death and they were great partners and all this stuff. And I just keep thinking, this is totally what Polnareff would do. They are the same <laughs> fucking person. It's great. Uh, so then Anyaba calls his bullshit and starts shouting as she attacks him with a pair of scissors. And then he starts shouting because he's been stabbed in the arm. And the whole time I'm thinking, how does no one hear this from upstairs? Eventually, right. they do hear something. And that's the gunshot that goes off when when Whole Horse brings out Emperor. Okay, because yeah, I wrote a note here that Polnareff enters the lobby having heard a, str- a strange noise. It's the gunshot. It's not any of the screaming and yeah. shouting prior to that. <laughs> yeah, like they're literally screaming so loud and saying like, you killed my son, Jay Guile, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, if they just 
were any louder, the Crusaders would immediately know what's going on and whoop their asses. But this is the part then where Enyaba explains that justice is made of fog. Uh, she controls people like puppets. And then, like we mentioned, Whole Horse then brings out Emperor and tries to shoot Enyaba. But interestingly, Enyaba has control of his right hand and he manifests Emperor using that same hand. So then she just forces him to shoot himself. But that makes me think, can he manifest Emperor with the left hand? Or is it only his right hand? Hmm, I didn't even think of that. Because I'm like, if he didn't use his right hand, he wouldn't have to worry about being forced to shoot himself in the face. Yeah. Unless that's just his primary shooting hand. (laughs) I don't know. I like want to go back and look at all the times Whole Horse has manifested Emperor and see if he ever used his left hand. But I'm pretty sure it's almost always the right. So maybe he can only use his right hand. Um, but either way, it sucks for him because, uh, yeah, didn't didn't pan out in his favor in this moment. And so we're left with this cliffhanger of an ending that leads us into Justice Part 2, where Whole Horse seemingly has been shot in the face. Uh, Polnareff is about to come across the scene that has been, that has unfolded, and Inyaba is freaking out because she doesn't know what to do. Yeah, both Polnareffs getting what's coming to them i guess um we never really talk about the previews uh that these episodes have for the next episode but it's just funny for this one i noted that it's just a bunch of quotes related to toilets and then is it really i skipped yeah. over the preview damn i'm really mad now i should have watched it yeah and then i think polnareff himself admits that he always seems to get attacked in bathrooms there you go see yeah because you know i think Typical previews, they take quotes from the next episode, but it's just funny with this one that it's all like toilet humor. So I guess we'll find out in the next episode if everything is as humorous as this preview. Although it is, of course, the showdown with Enyaba and with her justice stand. Maybe that's why I love Polnareff so much, because I really appreciate toilet humor. And for some reason, he's the only character in like all of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure that has continuous toilet references and gets attacked in bathrooms <laughs> maybe Probably. that's that's part of it <laughs> <laughs> well that brings us to our final thoughts for part three episode 14 justice part one so did you think that this episode was quite wholesome i think it was hilarious i just love all the polnareff shit like there's a lot going on in this episode they're um they're transitioning us from the previous enemy sand user to the next one they're introducing us to justice they're kind of building the tension for the next part of this this arc um but to me what's st- what steals the show is polnareff he's not doing much of anything other than trying to find a fucking bathroom but to me it's like he's just acting so carefree um so goofy and even in some of the more serious situations he's still there to kind of bring a light-hearted feel to it to bring that you know comedic um, um, element to to any situation really so i i think that's why i really enjoy this episode and i think it gets better with just as part two because then the toilet situation actually comes to fruition you know all the foreshadowing that we're getting about something happening with the damn toilet so yeah as as silly as it sounds i would say for me what really makes this is just polnareff and the toilet stuff what about you yeah as i mentioned in the beginning i think this is a setup episode at best as the Crusaders continue to work their way through the Pakistani countryside, the action is a bit lackluster as we watch the group just standing around and figuring out what's going on. And Stand? A- standing <laughs> around? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you have Polnareff, who's just too worried about his bowel movements. Um, 
and just all of them waiting for something to happen to them by the next enemy stand user, although at least Jotaro seems to be the most observant out of the group, which is a, a positive, I guess. Um, and Yava, of course, steals the show in the arc, primarily focused on her vendetta against Polnareff and against the Crusaders. But besides her slapstick with Polnareff and her hoedown with Whole Horse, we only really get a taste of her power with her justice stand. And I'm sure we'll get a lot of these wait-and-see episodes with the remainder of Part 3's first core, but I will commend this first parter for at least setting up an unsettling Silent Hill mood before Anyaba's fateful showdown with her son's slaughterers. Of course, look forward to the second half of the Justice arc with our next episode, and I'm just going to talk all about the toilets. It's the toilets, okay? That's what that's what makes it for me. I can't wait for the fucking meme moment of Polnareff and the toilet and what Anyaba tries to make him do. So look forward to that, and we'll see you guys with the next episode. Thank you for tuning in. As always, subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show like our newest patron, Lazo, then head over to patreon.com slash strictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.